Hello, good people out there. This is Scott Trout. And here with another scoth, though. <clears throat> Just going to show up at the mic. Just going to see what happens here. No, today I actually wanted to talk a little bit about a book I just read, The Handmaid's Tale. Maybe you've heard of it. Woo, it's quite intense. Uh, yeah, I don't know when this book actually came out. I was a little confused. Maybe the 1980s, maybe more recently, but it's certainly making waves from my understanding. It's a HBO series, I think. Um, and my initial impressions of The Handmaid's Tale was that this was going to be like, well, I mean, I just kind of could guess. I think there's a lot of sex in here. I think there's a woman who is a handmaid and she is there to give birth. And you kind of draw a lot of dots from there, um, which was certainly the case. I'm kind of glad that I read it versus watched it. Um, I could see how as a visual medium, there's a lot of room for some sexual content to bring in the viewers bring them on in and some some really hard stuff to be honest as well i mean it's not an easy story to think about um america coming under like a really radical conservative regime uh that has kind of like the makings or the markings of christianity on it but it feels fairly devoid of the heart of christianity namely jesus is not mentioned at all it's it's all the um, yeah, I mean, basically they take all these bits from the Bible, uh, namely these old Testament stories where the women can't conceive. And so then they give their servant to their husband so that he can have babies through her. Um, and this regime then creates kind of like, I guess through necessity that this is what they have to do. And so they, they literally take women. And I think the main character, she's like in her thirties and she had a kid and she had a husband and like, they're like, you're still fertile, so now you're going to be handmade, and you're going to give birth for our commanders, these high-up guys. And I mean, just the whole system is just, like, super depressing and, like, scary. Um, not, not in that she blew it out of proportion. Like, I thought there was some realness to it of, like, yeah, I, this this could be a future. This I could see this happening. Um, kind of that religious, dogmatic theocracy basically from a christian side of things so obviously i think on my end it, it's confronting for sure because you know you get to see your religion through this author's eyes but in a seat of power and the corruption and like horribleness that comes from that uh so like i mentioned it was confronting um there was multiple moments from like oh this really sucks to read about um how this woman is being treated and there wasn't there wasn't a ton of rape which i really appreciate um i think she was quite tasteful in the way that she wrote um but just this woman goes from free in the west life to servanthood um and and then of course the the like systemized patriarchy that that exists in the in the regime to make it all happen uh women are not allowed to use bank accounts they're not allowed to hold property their credit cards and like on a whim in a day are are all of a sudden turned off and man it's just crazy how like they consolidated power and 
Um, and you just see glimpses of like the main character, how she kind of slowly loses her, her, her ability to remember what freedom felt like. And um, they have all these things where they take away, you know, sharp objects and stuff. So the, so they had made some kill themselves. It's just like, ugh, this sucks. So anyway, I was just, I finished this amazing book. I honestly would, would genuinely recommend it. I think it was quite compelling and, and again, kind of like a confronting vision of what could happen if we let religion get away from ourselves. And for me, as a, as a practicing Christian, it then kind of asked the question, well, is this my religion? Is this a, is this an inevitable outcome or is this like, uh, yeah, like, could this be reality? And so I was, yeah, I've been thinking about that. Um, there's a couple of moments in the book that I think specifically deviates. I mean, I think the whole Christianity in the book is not true Christianity. And like I already mentioned, they took, there was no mention of Jesus. And you kind of have to do that to have an authoritarian state revolving around uh, quote unquote Christianity. You have to take out Jesus because Jesus is all about um, making yourself less and uh, he who wants to be first shall be last. And so if there's any sort of power grab from men in society uh, to create this utopian based on Christian principles that puts women down, it's like, you're already missing the point. Um, God calls men to love their wives as they love their own bodies and to sacrifice themselves for their, for their wives. And so there's the sense that, yeah, men are not supposed to dominate, but to, but to serve. So little things like that, that I was like, you know, if people, if Christians stop reading the Bible, basically, which happens in the, in the, you're not allowed to read in this regime, which like already that is a sign. We're not in a good place that you, and, and for me, that's the true heart of Christianity. It, it invites you, it begs you to be studious about your faith, to look into things. There's no obscurity in my mind uh, on a, on, on like a systematic level of saying, you know, things like the Bible can only be read by priests. Uh, Martin Luther really changed that. He said, I want, I think the Bible should be in the common language so that the common person can read it, understand it and figure out what God is trying to say to them through it. So that's huge for me. And that, and that for me is really what Christianity is about. So there's that. Um, and I was thinking about the Nazi regime, who, which also kind of used a shell of Christianity or the lingo of Christianity to justify a lot of what they're doing to the Jews and to uh, society. But there's multiple quotes from Nazi leaders that talk about how they wish they would have had a different religion, specifically the religion of the Japanese, which is much more imperialistic and nationalistic from its core. The emperor is the God that they serve. Um, and they just said how problematic Christianity was to have a religion that they were based off of because um, it doesn't put the government up on a pedestal. Um, it puts Jesus on a pedestal. We serve him. He's, he's our king. And so, again, I just think it's very interesting that this isn't real Christianity because they literally took out the core. They took out the, the king, the, the person that it all revolves around Jesus. Um, there's a couple other interesting moments in the book that I just wanted to speak into there's this one moment called the eyes. So it's the secret um, police almost of the regime. They're called the eyes. 
and they are basically double agents who kind of give up their, you know, they, they tattle on their neighbors and give names and, and ultimately the people that they tell on end up being hung or killed or executed. And, um, and I think one of the verses that they got that from is actually from Hebrews. So it talks about how uh, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That's from Hebrews 4.13. Um, and in the book, it's capitalized eyes and they're this whole, you know, police force almost. But what I love is that this verse does not support neighbors giving up neighbors and tattling and being this moral police. What it's saying is that we're naked and exposed, which is scary, to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Singular, God, obviously. Uh, so the eyes are not humans. We, we are not the moral enforcers for each other. And this is ultimately one of the things that I love about Christianity is because we are beholden or accountable to God himself. He sees the hearts, the intentions, the minds of every single human being. Humans can only kind of look at the actions and then guess at what's happening in the mind, which is quite, you know, manipulative in any, anyway, but that's what's happened throughout time and regimes. Um, people enforcing these rules in this like KGB-esque scary, scary reality. But Hebrews 4.13 for me is actually where true justice is found because there's something um, humbling for me to know that God sees everyone. You can't escape. You can't pretend. You can't escape. And this is totally the hypocrisy that's happening in the book. The the commanders that set up this whole utopia don't even follow the rules. And this the main guy, he has all these magazines and books and things he's not supposed to have. And um, and that's just the reality. When when justice is based on a human institution and human's ability to enforce that justice, there's always going to be loopholes, pockets, um, hypocrisy, people that put in the rules that don't follow it. Yet when there is an, there's an objective deity over all of humanity who sees all that, uh, there's no escaping from. That's why it says that all are naked and exposed. And for me, when I think about some of the huge injustices that have happened, especially even thinking about women around the world, um, multiple countries where women have no rights. They're absolutely just property. And it's horrible what's happening to them. In one sense, men in those societies are getting away with that on a human level, on a human justice level. There's no retribution. Um, but that for me propels me to say, that's why we need God. We need God uh, to have a sense of justice in the world, that, that there is nobody who's getting away with crimes. And then, of course, that's humbling for me too then because it's like God sees my heart and my intention. And I can't easily say, well, at least, you know, I'm glad that the bad people are getting locked away and I'm safe over here. It's a healthy check to say, you know, actually, uh, I need to be humble before God because he sees my heart, my intentions, my actions. There's no hiding from him. Earlier in that, in that verse, it talks about how the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Um, and earlier in the Bible, uh, when God is choosing David, the king of Israel, um, who's just a boy at the time, and Saul was already a king, this guy who was beautiful, handsome, he stood a, a head taller than everyone else. Um, he, God was talking to his prophet Samuel, and he just says, um, 
don't look at just the physical appearance. God sees to the heart, the heart of what a man is like. Well, I think that's quite interesting. So that's one knock on how this is not true Christianity, that God doesn't need humans to be little tattletailers, tattletailers <laughs> uh, on each other to enforce rules. Okay, the next one um, is the, kind of the whole thing that it's built around, this ceremony. Um, boy, this is like graphic and uncomfortable, but basically uh, this comes from the Bible story of Rachel and Leah. This actually happens elsewhere as well, where um, Jacob... Uh, so this is Abraham's grandson, basically. Abraham had Isaac, and then Isaac had Jacob. Jacob has two wives. He kind of gets tricked. He thought he was marrying one sister, got the older sister instead, and then got to marry the sister he actually really liked. Already the story is like, this is messed up. Uh, and it just created a whole bunch of strife. If anyone's like, um, polygamy is going to be fine, just look at this story. It, it doesn't go well. Um, I really do think God intended things to be monogamous. Um he doesn't necessarily uh, stop this from happening, but I, I think he lets the natural consequences uh, come into play. Namely, that there's a, just a bunch of jealousy and rivalry and uh, the women trying to outdo each other through childbirth. And so then there's these sad moments where Rachel can't get pregnant. So she says, uh, Jacob, take my servant that I can have children through her. And he does not seem to put up much of a fight on that one. Uh, and then Leah later does it too. And she's like, here, take my servant. So the guy has literally four wives. And, um, and you know, honestly, this actually started with Abraham. Abraham did this too. God gave Abraham a promise that he was going to have a son. And he was like in his nineties, Sarah was like way past menopause. If you could have menopause twice, she would have done it. Um, and same thing. They knew the promise that God had, but they took things into their own hands. And she said, here, take my servant, Hagar. Uh, have a have a child by by her, and again horrible consequences, and again just really sad injustice that happens to Hagar who has to flee, and uh, actually the nation of um, Islam, yeah, Muslims actually come from that lineage of Ishmael. But basically, what I'm pointing out here is that if someone takes these stories and says this is biblical. They're going only surface deep because it's, yes, it's in there, but it's not prescribed. It's not God saying this is what you all should do. Um, if anything, it leads to all sorts of problems. And God is pretty clear, especially in the teachings of Jesus, later in Paul, uh, and even in the very beginning in Genesis, it talks about how a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave himself or cling to his wife. And there's this sense of one man, one wife. And... Um, yeah. So again, little handmaid's tale, Christian regime. I think you missed the point there. Um, so God did not ordain this. I really think it was humans acting on their own will and, and especially men being able to just kind of get what they want in a society that praised, uh, childbearing kind of as your only worth as a woman. And that's what happened in the handmaid's tale as well. Okay, another thing that was interesting is they had these things called the prayer scrolls, prayer scrolls, uh, which was basically like this automated prayer thing that just like would rattle off prayers in these rooms that no one could even hear, you know, and of course it's like, this is pretty self-explanatory. When I think of prayer, it's human beings using their own willpower and vocabulary and the position of their heart to actually say things to God, to actually pray, talk um, 
request, get to know God. It's that moment where you connect with God personally. And um, and I thought it was really beautiful. I was just at a conference with my job, and there's a, a lady who works for the 27 Prayer Movement. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't, but there's literally, and this is so powerful in my mind, uh, a movement of Christians who are literally praying 24-7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And this has been happening, I mean, honestly, it's potentially been happening like for hundreds of years, but the ones that that I know of have been going on um, for years and years. Uh, there's some in, in the US, there's some out here. And yeah, so she works for one here in the Netherlands. And it's like just so cool to think of people making that sacrifice. So it's not just a machine working off and in the book, they would just pay money and and you would look really pious by paying money. And it's like such a Ponzi money scheme, but 24 seven, that's just humble, normal, ordinary people taking on the mantle of prayer saying, God is real. And if we want things done, we need to turn to prayer. So I thought that was sweet. Um, there's this whole thing of how the men in the, who created the society, uh, have the, you know, they go to prostitutes and they feel no qualm about it. And it's just like, Oh man, there's so much hypocrisy. And I don't, you know, someone could take me to task on that. Of like, that's manhood. That's men. That's how, that's how, what they're like. And, you know, there is interesting. I do think there is something about, man, maybe it's through history. Boy, I don't know if I want to go into this. <laughs> um, but anyway, like that power hungriness. Um, what is the word in Greek? It's like, you know, the hero's downfall. It's always pride. Um, hubris. Yeah, that's what it is. So that's interesting, but it was for sure apparent in the book. Um, and then just to to wrap up, uh, oh, actually, and I had written that idea of prostitution totally contradicts other parts of the Bible. So you'd have to you'd have to throw out the writings of Paul in in his letters to the Corinthians um, to to justify this. So again, this Christian regime is for sure in quotation marks. It's been hollowed out of all the core, all the guts that actually make Christianity Christianity. And they've just, you know, copied and pasted some of the, the rules. Um, and lastly, just that everyone must give an account. I, that's why I'm against totalitarianism. I, I, I'm really against a government that governs least because uh, humans need to be able to make choices for themselves make moral choices for themselves. They don't need a government telling them how to live. And that really is quite important to me. Maybe I'll do a scotho on that at a different time because this is getting long. Yikes. Hopefully you're still with me. Um, and man, when a, when a society tries to say we can be God, we can create the perfect society, we will tell you how to live, follow our rules or die, and it's going to be awesome. You're, you're taking the place of God and it just reeks of the Tower of Babel where humans tried to build themselves up to the status of God and it had disastrous consequences. So for me, government, um, maybe that's the that's also one of the truths that it's inevitable that government moves in that way, uh, that power leads to desire for more power. Um, anyway, let me know if you've listened or <laughs> if you've listened to this, that'd be nice. No, if you've read the book, the Handmaid's Tale. I thought it was fascinating, would highly recommend, um, and would love to hear some of your thoughts, stuff I missed. And uh, yeah, let me know.